Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And holy smokes, Penn State absolutely pummels Iowa 31 to zip. The defense was out of this world holding the Hawkeyes who are an embarrassment. And that's an understatement, but they are an embarrassment to offensive football. 76 yards, only four first downs. Really only two first downs while the game, you know, while Penn State's starting defenders were, were in there. Uh, just an uh, incredible defensive performance by Penn State and an incredibly horrific offensive performance by Iowa. So when you think about where Penn State is right now, 4-0 with a really easy part of the schedule coming up here the next three weeks, they go to Northwestern this weekend. They're favored by 26 points over the Wildcats. Then you've got a bye week, and then you've got a home game against UMass. Then the big game in Columbus against Ohio State on October 21st. So all things considered, a couple things I want to touch on in this first segment with regards to the playoff possibilities and where this Penn State team is, because it's not just about this this Penn State team. It's also about Ohio State. All right. Now, Ohio State went on the road. And beat a good Notre Dame team. Last second touchdown, scoring on the final play. Irish only had 10 player defenders on the field. And uh, Ohio State's able to get in and, and win the game. That's a big win for Ohio State. That's a big win for the Big Ten. And I think that's a big win for Penn State as well. Because when you think about the way this season breaks down, we all thought, okay, Penn State get a little bit of a, t- a test against Illinois. And maybe in some ways, yes, but a comfortable 17-point win. A little bit of a test against Iowa, not at all, 31-point win. Now we're in the middle portion where things get pretty easy, and it basically comes down to, obviously, the Ohio State game, and then Maryland is still looming out there, a trip to Maryland on November 4th, and then the following week, Michigan comes to Penn State. But then Rutgers comes to Penn State, and Penn State closes that Michigan State uh, in in, uh, Detroit on the day after. Thanksgiving, but Indiana, there's a trip to Indiana, or I'm sorry, a home game against Indiana. They're not good this year. Uh, barely beat Akron and Joe Moorhead. Uh, congratulations to Joe Moorhead for giving Indiana such a good game. But when you think about Penn State, um, you know, a lot of you thought 11 and one at the beginning of the year, hoping for 11 and one at the beginning of the year and a playoff berth. Right now, 11 and one seems like more of a possibility to me than at any point. And I'm going to say because Ohio State just looks like it has some issues. Now, again, Ohio State went on the road, and and that's a good, good win for Ohio State. And I think it's a good win for Penn State as well because you want want your biggest opponents to go out and win big games so that if you beat them, that win looks better for you. At, At this stage... Can Penn State beat Michigan down the road at Beaver Stadium on November 11th? Sure. I do think Michigan has a better football team and, and a better offense than Penn State has seen so far or even will see going into that game. Uh, but Penn State's defense is is playing. I'll, I'll tell you, folks, this is this is 18 years for me covering Penn State. I think this is probably the first time I've ever thought to myself, Penn State's defense is good enough to win a national championship. Um, I, I wasn't covering the teams in the 80s or the 90s 
you know, with some of the superstar players they had. But in my 18 years, while there have been good Penn State defenses, just the complete and total domination of this that this unit can have over opponents. And I'm not talking about winning at Ohio State. I'm not talking about beating Michigan. I'm talking about beating somebody like Georgia or what, whomever, uh, Florida State, whomever could could show up in a, a college football playoff. Uh, to me, uh, this defense is good enough to win the national championship. Now, there are still some things I want to see offensively. So still some some issues here and there that if they run up against a better defense and they get into some issues. But the bottom line for Penn State is they play such fantastic complementary football. The defense is just not going to give up, give up much of anything. So while we can sit here and talk about the offense might need to do this or might need to do that. Hell, they may not need to, you know, if if the defense can go out and hold everybody to under 17 points or something. I mean, it, it's not a gigantic challenge to score 17 to 20 points, even against the likes of an Ohio State or a Michigan. So I tell you, um, I was not overly impressed by Ohio State. Um, again, that was a good road victory, but I I I feel as confident right now. I'm. I'm still not going to sit sit here and say I'm going to pick Ohio State to beat Ohio State, uh, pick Penn State to beat Ohio State in Columbus, but I'm probably closer now than I really have ever been in covering Penn State for 18 years of thinking that I think they can go there and win. The defense is just better. Um, they're going to face some different kinds of challenges with Marvin Harrison Jr. and everything with, with Ohio State, but that game absolutely, absolutely looks a whole lot more winnable now uh, with the Buckeyes, it's not like they're going out and clobbering people. So I asked this question uh, in our Penn State feed. Uh, if Ohio State beating Notre Dame is good for Penn State, I think a lot of people who commented there and p- voted in a poll I did on Twitter agree that it is good for Penn State. You, your heart might tell you, no, you don't want to see Ohio State win ever. It, it's, you know, you always love to see Ohio, something bad happen to Ohio State because that is. For better or worse, that is a rival, and that's a, a a team that Penn State fans do not want to root for. But you want Ohio State to be undefeated when you go there on October 21st. You want them to be undefeated because uh, if you can go out there and beat them, and then you know that's a that's a tremendous tremendous victory. That's one of the best victories for any college football team all season if you go out there and win and they're undefeated. Now there could be issues down the road. Say Penn State beats Ohio State, Ohio State turns around and beats Michigan. Now you got a three-way tie uh, of 11 and one teams. That could be some issues in terms of getting to a playoff. Who knows how those tiebreakers could work out? But, uh, I mean, hey, look, at, at this stage right now, uh, still, I, I think you want to go to Columbus and, and, and have them be undefeated. By the way, Michigan hosts Ohio State this year. So what I see, what I see is Penn State's best scenario, obviously outside of going undefeated. If you go to Ohio State and beat Ohio State and then Michigan beats Ohio State in the regular season finale, now you're 11 and 1, Michigan's 12 and 0, Ohio State's 10 and 2, and you got two teams going to the playoff in Michigan and, and and Penn State. That's the path to the playoff. It is a very distinct path right now. They could lose to Ohio State, beat Here see here's the other scenario. You lose to Ohio State, you beat Michigan, and then Michigan beats Ohio State. Now you got an issue. Now you got those three 11 and one teams. That's why that trip to Ohio State now becomes much, uh, much bigger. Cause I think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State down the road. If Penn State loses to Ohio State and then Penn State beats Michigan, 
it could be quite a, an interesting scenario if you've got three 11 and one teams there. Um, just where the playoff committee would have each one, which team would win a tiebreaker, which team would go to the Big Ten championship game, and so on and so forth. So again, that makes that trip to Ohio State even bigger. But this Penn State team, led by an incredible defense, I tell you, it is it is starting to look like this truly could be the year. Now, again, I think there is some issues on offense. I'll get to these a little bit later, probably in the third segment. Cause I want to talk Deion Sanders in Colorado in the second segment, but this, this is looking like it truly could be the year with all these fantastic pieces in place. You've still got Manny Diaz. You've still got Chop Robinson and Kalen King. You won't have probably all three of them next year, uh, any of them. Um, so, uh, boy, this, it, it, this, this looks like it could be the year a lot of Penn State fans have been waiting for for a long, long time. So I want to get into Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. This is an interesting discussion on a lot of levels because I will start by saying the Colorado situation and Coach Prime have been really good for college football with regards to interest level, um, casual sports fans paying more attention. I'm a believer that when you can attract the interest of different people and, and widespread interest and certainly uh, football fans out in Colorado, it's been, it's been a big deal out there, the start they got off to. So um, just from an interest standpoint, I, I think there have been a lot of good things with regards to Deion Sanders in Colorado. I personally do not like that he came in and just showed dozens and dozens of players the door. At the same time, it's a business you know what? We can sit here and say, well, you know, that would have never happened before, but hey, there's all kinds of stories throughout history of Joe Paterno, you know, telling a young man, hey, it's not going to work out for you, maybe. And, and when players leave, it's, it's, it, it, it never caught the, you know, the widespread in, uh, interest of, uh, going in and telling your team in a team meeting, basically you guys stink and you should all leave. But these kinds of, these kinds of discussions have been going on in college football for a long time. And quite frankly, Colorado was terrible last year. They were one in 11. Deion Sanders wanted to come in and, and get better players. Hey, that's the way things work. The players can all leave into the portal now. If a new coach comes in and thinks the players aren't good enough, look, I really don't have a lot of problem with it. I really don't even have a lot of problem with the way he did it. Kind of callous, but. This is a professional business, as you've probably heard me say for a long, long time. Now, here's where my my view of the discussion changes a little bit, because I still don't think Colorado is very good. I think Shador Sanders is very talented. Obviously, Travis Hunter is very talented, and he was injured, did not play against Oregon, and they got destroyed by Oregon. It was 35 to nothing at the half and Oregon destroyed them over the weekend. Did that surprise me? Absolutely not. Because I don't think Colorado's real good. 
and they're they're a 25 point underdog this week at home, 24 point underdog at home against USC. So USC is probably going to throttle them as well. Colorado just doesn't have a full team. Okay. They don't have great linemen. They don't have great depth. All these things we talk about with Penn State and James Franklin all the time. Depth, 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 great defense. I mean, Colorado's got good skill position guys and they've got a, a pretty good plan, but I don't, I just don't think they have a great team. And so I do take some issue with all of this attention that was placed on really kind of a fluky situation. Yeah. They beat TCU. Uh, you know, and TCU was in the national championship game last year, but they, TCU lost a ton of players. Wasn't the same TCU team. Colorado probably should have lost to Colorado State, which kind of blew that game with all kinds of penalties. So the thing is, the thing is, Colorado was, was never really as good as all of the attention w- would have made you believe. And so if you're a casual fan and you just want to tune in for the, uh, uh, for, you know, Kind of the circus show of what's going on with Dion and everything. Uh, yeah, you, you could catch, you could pay attention to them, but ultimately in football, you, you got to have a good team. You can't just talk and talk and talk and talk and just think that's going to keep, you know, uh, keep people interested. You've got to have a good football team. And I just don't think they have a good enough football team to warrant anywhere near the kind of attention that they're getting. I'm going to tread lightly on this. For a little bit, I don't get into these subjects a whole lot just simply because, hey, look, I will flat out tell you, I'm a 49 year old white man. I've lived kind of a middle class white male privileged life my whole life. I, I cannot relate to a lot of things that African American athletes and people in the population have dealt with throughout their lives. The social injustice, the, Terrible injustices they've had absolutely uh, have been appalling. Uh, but me personally, I have not been able to relate to them uh, specifically myself. And so I don't like to get into a lot of these kind of race baiting issues. It's just not something I'm comfortable talking about. But I'm also uncomfortable the way this storyline has played out with Deion Sanders and the criticism that he has taken because it's kind of turned into this whole concept of there's a belief out there that you've got a a proud, outspoken African-American man and people are interested in what he has to say because it's kind of showy and everything like that. But people don't, they're not comfortable hearing from a, a proud outspoken, loud, vocal African-American man. And so it's turned into this little bit of a race thing. And so if you're a critic of Colorado football, one one thing that's kind of happened here is people, those critics kind of start to get lumped into a little bit, well, you're uncomfortable now with the way Dion is going about things. You're uncomfortable with some type of racial element or a, 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 a proud African-American coach, former athlete, superstar being so loud and vocal. Well, that has nothing to do with it for me. Nothing at all. I, I don't I don't really care anything at all about any of that. I analyze football. His team 
is not good enough for the amount of attention they have received. Period. That's that's it for me. It has nothing to do with anything else. They are not anywhere near as good of a football team as all of the uh, all of the attention and notoriety would make you think that they are. The fact that they got destroyed in the first half by Colorado, 35 to nothing, that wasn't surprising at all. Colorado, ha- or, I'm, I'm sorry, Oregon, or Oregon up 35 to nothing at the half. That's not surprising at all. Oregon has had fantastic talent for years and years and years. Now they've underachieved once they've gotten in some big stages themselves, but Oregon, Oregon has a program that's been one of the better programs in the country for a long time. All right, and USC, they're going to play USC in the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, this week. And again, that's a 24-point line. I fully expect USC to, to crush Colorado because I just don't think Colorado has anywhere near a complete enough team. So if you see what I'm getting at with I, – I just wish in anything in life, I wish we could just just judge and analyze things based on the reality of – are you good enough? Are you not good enough? Or are you, are you qualified enough? Are you not qualified enough? I, I hate that so many things come down to racial issues and this notion that if you're a, somehow a critic of Colorado and Deion Sanders and the way he's done things, that there's some hint or suggestion there that uh, all the critics are just uncomfortable with Dion and because he's a successful African American man. Nothing to do with it whatsoever for me. Zero to do with it. They just simply are not anywhere near as good of a football team as all of this notoriety and attention would suggest, which is that they're getting. And and quite frankly, I I think the rest of the country is going to see that as the season goes on. Now, can Dion really get it going there and turn them into a consistent and, and proven Winner. Well, you know what? He's got his son for one more year. He's got Travis Hunter for one more year. And you would think next year Colorado could be pretty good and be entertaining. But after that, you know, he was able to take all, he was able to take some of these key players, including those two stars from Jackson State out to Colorado. What's going to happen to Colorado's recruiting after that? You know, is he going to be able to get uh, not just not just a flashy skill guy here and there? Because, again, Saturday against Iowa proved this from a Penn State perspective. It's not just about one or two or three or four flashy skill guys. It's about having dominant players and depth and building it year after year after year after year with different kinds of players. So can Deion Sanders... Truly pull that off at Colorado? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I just don't think so. They are an interesting story, and they have been an interesting story. And the way he went about doing things out in Boulder uh, were certainly unorthodox. But me personally, for the amount of attention they get, I, I think it's ludicrous because they're just not a, a, a good enough football team to warrant that attention. Welcome to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. 
I talked about this a little bit earlier in the first segment. Some issues maybe that the Penn State team is still going to have to figure out. because I, I do think they've got a national championship caliber defense. The offense, I talked a lot about this last week with uh, the wide receivers and the explosive plays. We're still not seeing that. We still didn't see that against Iowa. It didn't matter because Iowa's defense or offense is putrid. Penn State ran 97 plays, which is a staggering number. Iowa ran 33. If you think about that, 97 plays to 33 plays, 45 minutes time of possession. It was just incredible, including the third quarter where Penn State had the ball for 13 minutes and 45 seconds. I just still think, you know, when you go to an Ohio State, you play against a Michigan, their defense is not going to let you go on long drives uh, like Penn State was able to do, especially starting the third quarter, 15 plays, 75 yards, six out, six minutes and 40 seconds. That was a terrific dri- drive that really kind of sucked a lot of life out of Iowa, which was only down 10 to nothing at the time. Um, I, I still think they've got to get the explosive play situation going. They've got to send some receivers deep. But the bottom line is Drew Aller's thrown, I think, 125 passes this season, no interceptions. We tend to think of a game manager, the, the phrase game manager, that that is a negative phrase. We tend to think of game manager as Trent Dilfer when he won uh, the Super Bowl with that great Ravens defense back in the day. Um, and right now, it is fascinating that Drew Aller, this you know five-star quarterback, number one quarterback recruit in the country, um, Playing very well, protecting the ball, doing everything, poise and all that stuff. But it's not like he's lighting it up or even being asked to light it up. He's basically just being asked to be a game manager, which is fascinating in and of itself that you've got the number six team in the country this week in the AP poll. They're up to number six. And the, uh, you know, the offense still does not have to just come out and blow people away. Yes, they scored 31 points. Yes, it's 11 and con- 11 consecutive games with at least 30, which is the longest streak in the nation. But do you get the sense when you're watching Penn State's offense that you're watching some, you know, just a dynamic, fantastic unit? I mean, I, I don't. I, I give Drew Aller all the credit for playing with such poise and such composure and, and not turning the ball over, which is extremely, extremely important. As I talked about a lot last week, the season comes down to Ohio State. It comes down to Michigan, those two games. What will the offense be able to do against those two levels of defense? So it hasn't mattered so far. Now we've got the stretch here of of uh, Northwestern, then a bye, then UMass. A very easy and comfortable three-week stretch before Ohio State to work on a lot of things. One thing else, uh, other than the wide receivers, one other thing is the running game. You know, we still have not seen Nicholas Singleton break off a long run at this stage. Katron Allen, quite frankly, looks like the better every down running back. He's out rushing uh, Nicholas Singleton on the season. And, and unless Nick is able to get, you know, some, some big gains, you know, it, would it really be all that surprising if Katron Allen ends up leading the team in rushing? Over Nicholas Singleton, that that that's that's wild because Nick has obviously garnered so much of the attention. 
But uh, I, I do still think they've they've got to get the running game figured out a little bit more, getting some explosive plays, some longer plays out of the running game. Just make things easier so you're not needing, you know, 12, 14 play drives to score. If you can get some big explosive play, I'm looking up the stats here. My Internet connection is a little slower, but through four games, Katron Allen uh, leading the way with uh, uh, 280 yards rushing. Averaging 4.4 per carry. Nicholas Singleton, 203 yards, only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. I mean, so if I, I know I asked this question going in. Who will end up being the better running back this year? And almost unanimously, people thought Nicholas Singleton, the higher pedigree back. But what if it is Katron Allen? So those are some things. And kicking game, obviously, Alex Falcons kicked one long field goal, missed another one. They're they're just going to have to be not just consistent but outstanding in that because to to beat an Ohio State comes down to a one possession kind of game to beat a Michigan maybe a one possession kind of game those field goals are going to have to come into play so four zero certainly looking terrific more better than terrific just phenomenal on defense um, is the offense special teams are they good enough to to get into a playoff and make noise and maybe win it all. At this stage, I would say no. Um, but you don't just look at things in a vacuum or in a bubble. It's not just about the offense. If the defense is truly good enough to win a national championship, maybe they could go into a game uh, against, say, a Georgia and uh, and only need 20, 23, 27 points. Could Penn State's offense manage that kind of production uh, against a Georgia? Maybe even less. Although typically those playoff and national championship games that you, you got to get into the high thirties or forties to be able to win even at that level. And right now I just don't think Penn state can do that offensively, but maybe as good as Penn state's defense is that wouldn't even be necessary way down the road. That's, that's looking very far ahead, but uh, here we are four and oh, very comfortable, easy three week stretch here coming up with Northwestern in the bye and UMass uh, this season is unfolding in a very, very interesting and exciting way if you're a Penn State fan. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes here with that trip to Columbus in a month. All right, that's going to wrap things up for me on uh, this week's podcast. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. As always, you want to leave a comment in the comment section about any of my takes, including the Deion Sanders and Colorado stuff. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next week. Hey.